Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast, where we challenge you to think differently about your approach to health and wellness. My name is Heather Duranja, and I'm excited to be here with you to take you on the journey from surviving to thriving. Hey, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy podcast, we have special guest Sean Stevenson. Sean is a world-renowned author and nutritionist and the host of The Model Health Show, where he breaks down complex health issues and makes them easy to understand. He goes beyond the books to uncover the very best health information in the world and does it with style, fun, and lots of heart. His newest book, Eat Smarter, The Ultimate Guide to Upgrading Your Mind and Body, will empower you and make you feel inspired about your food choices not just because of all the impact it has on your weight, but because the right foods will improve every single area of your life. Oh, Sean, what a fabulous introduction. Congratulations on this new book. I'm saying thank you. Congratulations. Thank you so much. That really does mean a lot. Yeah, so um, I absolutely love your work. I feel so honored to have an opportunity to share your knowledge and expertise with the audience today. There are so many things I wanted to pick your brain about um, that I became overwhelmed with like, oh my gosh, there's limited time. How am I going to accomplish this all? But I feel pretty confident, confident that we're gonna be able to capture some really game-changing uh, conversation that will inspire the audience to take radical action when it comes to their health and well-being. So thank you again. It's my pleasure. Let's do it. All right. So I came across a post of yours that you posted the other day talking about um, how, you know, we really are in a health crisis here in the United States, right? There's 242 million Americans that are considered overweight. We've got 130 million Americans that are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. 60% of the population has some form of heart disease. We've got one in four adults that are suffering mental health. How, do we, how did we get here? How does this happen? That's a good question. That is such a good question. You know, I think that in with those numbers, I, I think that a lot of times we don't know just how just how bad the situation is, you know, and as you mentioned, 242 million Americans like we're not that we I mean, we're pretty magnificent country, you know, as far as our population. But this is the majority of us, the vast majority of folks here in our in our country are either overweight or clinically obese. And that trend is just growing, you know, and we were actually on pace to hit 50% of our citizens being clinically obese, because right now we're at 43%. Just within the next, prior to all the pandemic and all the shutdowns, we were on pace for within the next 10 years. And that number has been uh, dramatically shortened. You know, we're going to hit that number within the next couple of years here, if things continue as they are, which, you know, this is why we do the work that we do is in order to help to, to, not just not just have things to kind of shorten the 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 magnitude of them, but to literally change it. I think that we could swing the pendulum in the opposite way and make health the norm. Mm -hmm. So those numbers are startling. And I'm just gonna share this with everybody. I think a lot of folks don't realize. So that's kind of how bad it is, but our treatment for those things are potentially even worse because right now it's just like, well, we've got to figure out a way to treat all these different conditions. You know, all these folks are dying from heart disease, from diabetes, the list goes on and on. About 400,000 deaths each year attributed to an obesity related cause as well. It's in the mix there as a comorbidity. And so we got to try to fit, find a new drug to, you know, reduce the, the incidence of heart disease or cancer. Well, right now, over 70% of our citizens are already on pharmaceutical drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, we're the most drugged society in the history of the world. Like it's not even close. Americans consume the highest percentage of medication of anybody on the planet. Mm -hmm. And yet our health is also at the very bottom as well, especially with our rate of obesity. There's no other country that really even matches us, especially with the, the magnitude of how big our, our country is. Right. And so the, the ways that we've been going about this have not been working. So when you ask, why is this happening? How did this get this bad? It really goes back to 
understanding, you know, our system of healthcare right now, number one, we have to just take a good look at it and be honest that it's not working. As a matter of fact, it's failing miserably. Things have just continued to get worse and worse and worse as each decade has gone by. Mm-hmm. Everything has gotten worse, heart disease, cancer, autism, Alzheimer's, things that used to be rare. Cancer used to be rare. Now they're at a place of epidemic proportion. So clearly what we've been doing is not working. The question should be, why are all these things getting bad now? And the answer is very simple. It's not just like all of these things just suddenly happened. It's been a progressive de-evolution or you know, there's a term that's dis-evolution with the way that we interact with our environment. Mm-hmm. Everything has changed. In the, in the mag, if we say the book of humanity is like the size of, I, I, I used the, the Da Vinci Code as an example the other day. I don't know why that jumped into my head. Um, but anyways, the size of the Da Vinci Code, it's a, nice, it's a thick little book, it's a thick book. The way that we've been living our lives as far as the food that, we've, that, we're, eat, that we're eating with you know, kind of modern agriculture, it's literally one sentence in the entire book of humanity, the mm-hmm. size of the Da Vinci Code. The way that we're eating, our environmental inputs, you know, right now there are tens of thousands of chemicals approved by the, by the EPA for use in fertilizers, tens of thousands. And so all of these things, you know, our cells, there's a you know, big issue. This is where a lot of the scientists today is talking about the microbiome, but mm-hmm. basically there's this beautiful interaction with microbes and with our human cells. And we have a magnitude of maybe, you know, 40 trillion bacteria in and on our bodies right now. And these are very small microorganisms and pesticides and herbicides or denticides all of those things are designed to kill very small organisms, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just a neg- it's taking the humanness out of these things. Like, what is this going to do to our gut? And now, like, when things are, quote, opening back up and I'm, you know, we're in California. So that day is supposed to be tomorrow. Maybe yeah. we'll see. Well, we we'll see how that happens. Happening. Yeah. I mean, even that, like, I don't even want to get into it yet. But here's the thing. There are commercials now. You know, I just saw one the other day. And I just, I got to go online and look at this stuff because I can't just sit and watch the news and like watch and, you know, look for this stuff. But, you know, it was a, one of the major airlines and they're showing to get people to come back and not be afraid how they're spraying down the plane after every, after every trip. You know, they're spraying it down with these electrostatic sprayers that have these, you know, again, very toxic chemicals spraying everything like they never have before without like, okay, Yes, we maybe want to destroy some pathogens, but you're mostly made of these microorganisms that you're trying to kill. The, the chemicals don't, it doesn't care what jersey the microbes are wearing. So the question is, what is the long-term impact it's going to have on us? Right. Because there's a hundred percent chance you're going to be breathing those chemicals in. We also have a microbiome in our lungs. So the microbiome isn't just reserved to our gut. We also have a microbiome on our skin. We also have a microbiome in our lungs. What are, what are these things doing to us? So the long answer to that very good short question is the way that we are living our lives now today, the way that we interact with our environment, it has taken human DNA and how we're wired up. You know, even if we're talking about our microbes, our microbes also have genetic information. If we go, if we go gene for gene, over 99% of the genes we carry in our bodies are microbial genes. Mm-hmm. And now we know about, it's not the fact that you have this particular gene for a disease, it's the activation, it's the reading of that gene. How's that gene getting expressed? And the number one driver of our genetic expression are our environmental inputs, which that it's not just for reserved for the food that we eat, it's everything that we're exposed to. Right. And even, and this is the last thing I'm gonna say, and even the way that we think. And I'm meaning that from a, from a very strong place of science because every thought that you have you're releasing chemistry into your body. You're changing your biochemistry just based on your thinking. You know, the human brain, I often say this, is the most powerful pharmacy in the known universe. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we're having a thought, you know, maybe you, and I, this has happened to a lot of people, we might think something terrible has happened to somebody that we care about. And we get, we have a state of fear come up or anxiety, whatever it is. And we literally feel it. We feel the chemistry change in our bodies based off of a thought, whether it's real or not. And that's the rub whether it's real or not. Right. And so we're, we're changing the neuropeptides, we're changing our hormonal cascade, we're changing our neuro, neurotransmitters 
all the things that make your cells communicate with each other. You're changing your genetic expression because there's entire fields of like nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics studying how each bite of food you eat changes your genetic expression. But also your mind is the most powerful pharmacy in the known universe, truly. You are speaking to my soul, friend, literally speaking to my soul. And in my opinion, we, you know, re we've really been conditioned and cultivated to fear so much. And when it comes to the microbiome, the microbiome are what allow us to thrive. And we've been taught to fear them immensely. And this is really contributing to a lot of the unfortunate immune system issues, mental health disorders that we autoimmune disease, all of these things that we continue to see rise. Um, you know, I just want to share one thing with you because it goes back to our thoughts around disease. Okay. In my opinion, we have been conditioned to be victims of our genetics. And I don't believe that that is accurate, that we are truly the co-creators of our reality. And back in 1994, when I got diagnosed with a autoimmune kidney disease, and I was told that I was going to have five years to live until I would either need to be on dialysis or transplant, there was something, there was just this inner knowing that said to me, eh, that, that can't be your reality, Heather. And at that time, I got kicked off of my parents' health insurance for not being a full-time student and then couldn't get health insurance for having a pre-existing kidney disease. And in all truthness, in all truth, this was literally the best thing that ever happened to me. At that time, it was my environment that allowed for a genetic mutation to turn into a full-blown disease. I ate like shit. I was addicted to sugar. I was addicted to chaos. I was using every drug possible. At that time, I was doing a lot of crystal meth. I wasn't getting appropriate sleep. I wasn't drinking water. It was like the perfect storm, right? And then I get this diagnosis. I'm told I've got five years to live, can't get health insurance. Something inside me says, mm, that can't really be your truth and your reality. And that's where my pursuit for knowledge began. I didn't have the convenient access to our Western medical system. And so it forced me to have to start researching and start discovering lifestyle practices that I could embrace and utilize to support my overall health and well being. Now, fast forward 27 years since that diagnosis. I am proud to say that I have bought 27 amazing quality uh, years of vitality and longevity and, and all of the things. And I am so proud of that. And that's why I'm so passionate about the work that I do because I know how powerful it can be when we're just led down the path to start learning the little things that we can take responsibility and put action towards to start really being the co-creators of our life. So when you say thoughts, that's so powerful because I believe strongly that as soon as most people get a diagnosis and that, that um, prognosis is put into their head, that's what they accept as their fate. And then they program their cells to exactly mirror whatever that belief initiated was. That's a fact. That's an absolute fact. Your story is, is remarkable. And it's one, you know, my clinical practice, it's a story that I heard every day as mm -hmm. well, something similar. I mean, your story is incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. And you taking that, and this is the thing about you, once you once you get well and you experience what, what's that like, what's, what that's like, you wanna tell everybody and you wanna help everybody else to feel the same way, to know that that's possible, right. you know, but it truly does, it starts with your mind, you know, it starts with your, with your thinking and even believing that it's possible. And unfortunately, you know, and I just did um, a report on this not too long ago, one of the biggest issues right now, and if anybody, you know, is interested, you can go in and research the um, nocebo effect even in the, in, the con, in the context of COVID-19, mm -hmm. you know, just Google nocebo effect in COVID-19 or um, psychosomatic effects of COVID-19. 
there are great researchers now who are asking these questions, you know? And so I'm somebody who kind of, I guide, actually, matter of fact, I'll just share this with you. I was just with um, this, this incredible uh, research and professor from UCLA the other day, Dr. Emeryn Mayer, and he was here at my place and I just met him recently, but he's been studying the microbiome for 40 years, 40 years before wow. anybody even had this term in their, in their, in their lexicon. And so early on in his career, everybody thought he was nuts, of course. Like, what do you mean the gut affects your thinking and all these different things? And, you know, but he had to take those arrows and to create a platform where people are pulling from his, his information today that it might not even realize it, you know, but it really, it started with his mindset around what health looks like. Mm -hmm. And he knew that it was so much bigger than, you know, we think a lot of issues are what's just happening upstairs in our brain but your mind is in your toes, you know, your mind is, is so expansive and you can change your mind and thus change your brain. You could change Absolutely. the wiring of your brain. And this goes to, you know, work from another friend of mine, uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's a neuroscientist, those just, things. She was recently on the podcast. She's Look phenomenal. at, see, yeah. you see how the synchronicity. Yeah. So, you know, and understanding that truly this, we have the ability to do it, but if you're, if you're told you can't, you're already creating, it's a creation if yep. you accept that. Absolutely. And so one of the big issues right now is the nocebo effect, right? And I just talked with her about this as well, you know, placebos, which are incredibly powerful. I talk about this in Eat Smarter a little bit, actually, because it's so, it's so important because there's this placebo experiment. For me, it's like, can your mind affect your metabolism? And I wanted to get some hardcore data to, to demonstrate this to everybody because I've seen it happen firsthand multiple times. But it was a great experiment done by some researchers out of Stanford at the time, uh, Dr. Alia Crum and her team. They wanted to find out, do your thoughts affect your metabolism? And so they blended up a bunch of milkshakes. And even though the milkshakes were, you know, like 380 calories each, they put different labels on them. You know, one of the milkshakes would be labeled 180 calorie sensible shake or sensa shake, even though it's, you know, 380 calories, they changed the, the amount just on the label. And then they had another label they put on some of them that said 620 calorie calorie indulgent milkshake, right? Even though, again, it's the same amount of calories, you know, it was like somewhere in the ballpark of like 600, I'm sorry, 380. And so they had folks that consume the milkshakes and they, they, they monitored some of their their biochemistry, right? And what they found was that when folks had what they believed to be this indulgent milkshake, they had a decline in their body's ghrelin hormone, which is really associated with hunger, but it's also a very powerful um, hormone involved in metabolism because once ghrelin levels start to go down, your metabolism really kind of kicks into gear and starts to use some, bio, some, some of the available fuel. Mm -hmm. And so, it went down three times lower than what would have happened if they actually had a, a, a 600 calorie milkshake or whatever the case might be. So their, their ghrelin levels, let me, I wanna make sure I make this clear. Their ghrelin levels dropped three times lower than they should have is the bottom line. Just because they believe this was so indulgent and satisfying. Now here's the other part. The people who had what they believe to be hundred and 80 calorie sense of shake, their ghrelin levels barely budged. They didn't do anything, did no significant change at all. It was, it was as if they didn't have anything as far as what their hunger and satiety hormones are doing, even though they were eat, they had more calories than what they thought. Wow. So what does that lead to overeating later, being hungrier sooner, and most importantly, your metabolism, not shifting gears to burning your stored energy, mm -hmm. right? All based on the beliefs. All right. So your thoughts affect your metabolism. And of course, we know there's entire fields now of psychoneuroimmunology, mm -hmm. for example, looking at how your, your, your mind is really, really controlling your immune system on such a powerful level. Absolutely. You know? And so the, the more that we, but these things should seem obvious to some degree, but the more that we have peer reviewed evidence and, you know, scientists are really stepping up to, to share this message. Mm -hmm. We're really just circling back in a weird way, which I guess trends come in and out, but we're circling back to being more human, mm -hmm. you know, more, more researchers understanding like, wow, we just need to do the things that make us human. Your DNA expects certain things from you. Mm 
Right. And if you're living in a disempowered state where you don't receive a placebo, but you receive a nocebo effect, which is something negative is going to happen, like similar to you, you've got a certain amount of time to live. For me, you'll never walk normally again. Mm-hmm. For other folks coming into my office, you know, you're, you're, you're never, you're going to be on medication for the rest of your life. You're never going to be able to, you know, put your arm above your, your, your head or whatever the case might, all these different stories. When you get, when you hear that from an authority figure, it bypasses the prefrontal cortex, the more rational, logical part of your brain that's associated with, you know, decision-making, distinguishing between right and wrong, forethought to be able to map this out. Like, is that really true? Especially when it's coming from somebody you believe they know better about you than you do, unfortunately. Right. And so that happened to me. You know, my physician at the age when I was 20 years old, I was diagnosed with this so-called incurable spinal condition. And he told me that, you know, this is something that I'm just going to have to live with, that there's, this is incurable. And I believed him. I didn't know that I believed him. It's just like, but I went from a cr- nuisance of a pain to chronic debilitating pain within, you know, two weeks of, even though I was dealing with the little lack of mobility for maybe six months prior, you know? And um, so bottom line is this, your mind is the most important aspect of our health, but usually it's the last thing to get addressed. Absolutely. You know? And there's, there's always going to be a mental component in any disease state and also a mental component in any healing, you know? And so the faster we can address the mind and get everything into alignment based on science, this isn't just like, you know, I'm thinking about the movie Ghost right now, like Whoopi Goldberg is like, you know, doing some seance and like, get your mind right. Or, you know, I'm talking about science, you know, this is, this is very real and very powerful. So you want to stand guard at the door of your mind, you know, so we want to be careful about taking on any nocebos where somebody says that you can't, or something is impossible. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. People are not trying to be evil. They're not trying to be malicious. This is what they believe but no one writes your story for you, you know? And it might be even efficacious. It might even be the probable scenario, Mm -hmm. but I can't tell you how many times I've seen people do the improbable thing, you know, where they've, again, they're on dialysis and they're never gonna have a chance to to get off of it. They've lost this, they've, you know, they've brain damage, whatever the case might be. And the body finds the way, the body finds, I've literally seen, Oh my goodness. I mean, I've got so many stories, but you know, where somebody has what considered to be like a severing of nerve tissue Mm -hmm. and then their body literally finding another route to where they still have functionality. And this isn't just airy fairy made up stuff. This is very real. There's so many documented cases of these things. But again, the the healing really takes place in the mind first. I didn't know I'd talk about this, you know, because I'm a this okay. is so exciting because I want to go back to that experiment with the milkshakes. So what I'm hearing you in what I'm hearing in this is that because these milkshakes were labeled a certain way, they perceived guilt and shame with the enjoyment of this shake that then translated chemistry to the cells programming them to behave in a lower vibrational state where it, you know, it unfortunately impacted the metabolism in a negative way. So these things, these words that we use have, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Either positive or negative indications with them that then transfer a vibrational frequency, whether it's spoken, thought, heard, whatever it might be, communicating to the cell on how to respond. Yes. Okay. There's two parts here. So number one, you can absolutely placebo yourself into both outcomes. So when they're having the more indulgent milkshake Mm -hmm. in this particular study, it was actually metabolically beneficial Mm -hmm. because they're, they believe that, Oh, this is something that it has a lot of energy. It's an indulgent. I'm going to be taking on a lot more than what is actually there. They don't know that though. And so their body's responding as if, hey, you've had something very nutrient dense. You've had something that contains a lot of quote calories. There's even with the science of calories is a whole other thing. So we need to deactivate your hunger, all right? Mm-hmm. Now in that same context, like you just mentioned, you can perceive it as I'm doing something bad. 
And it depends on your belief about indulgent in that moment. And that's the thing, because in the moment it can change. So in that moment, you might think like, hey, this is like a, a treat. This is awesome. I feel good. And you just get this positive metabolic benefit. However, if you're like, and I would think in this context, again, like it's kind of they get free milkshakes and it's just like a college atmosphere, that kind of thing. People are just like, oh, shit, this is great. Right. You know? But for another person, it could be, you know, I'm doing this thing. I'm a bad person. They're, they're they can attach that food to morality, mm -hmm. right? Which is very dangerous as well. You know, I'm eating, I'm doing something bad. So this, I, we often psychologically, we attach things to other things. So right. if I'm doing something bad, what does that say about me as the person, right? Am I a bad person? I'm, I'm doing these bad things. I must be bad. You know, I need to punish myself or I'm not good enough or whatever the case might be. This is, we create this learned helplessness through those pathways. And so, you know, just even in those terms. So, but if somebody's not thinking that way, because we can all, you can engage with whatever you want in life. But if you're carrying around that guilt and shame, those things are toxic. Those are very toxic. And, but even that, these are just words we use to, to describe a feeling. Mm -hmm. because each of these is a spectrum. There's always a massive spectrum of gray area because sometimes feeling guilty can be helpful. It can be a, a helpful energy for you to be accountable. So maybe you do something, you know, with a, you know, for a partner or something, you know, you, pit, you do something wrong for your partner and, you know, there's a guilt there, but it's because, you know, I should, I, I need to be better. I need to be accountable, whatever the case might be. That's sketchy stuff. But a lot of times, though, we carry around unhelpful guilt and shame, mm -hmm. you know, so I don't want to vilify guilt and shame either. Right. You know, and that's a, that's another thing. So um, I think that, again, it's just really based on your perception in that moment, whether you're engaging with a, a donut or you're engaging with, you know, some broccoli, having a sense of value and not mm -hmm. attaching morality to the food. Mm -hmm. But carrying a, a degree of, of course, knowing like, you know what, on a scale of great to not so good, this donut is probably not great, you know, but we don't want to attach our, our, our morality or a sense of value for ourselves to that thing, right. which th this is the last part of this is we tend to do that in our culture today because we're so unwell. Mm -hmm. We're so unwell. So we're looking for a reason. We're looking for something to attach the, the blame to. So we blame ourselves, you know, it's so easy to do. It's the low hanging fruit. When in reality, the environment is, a, it, most of the time people don't even know that it's possible to not be in that state. That's all they see around them. That's all they see is fast food consumption. That's all they see is, is, is poverty or whatever the case might be. It's very difficult to go outside of that if that's, if that's all you know, right. you know, but once you become aware, it's your responsibility. It is absolutely your responsibility. So there's, there's two parts. There's the personal accountability, absolutely. But we have to make it so that being healthier is easier mm -hmm. and accessible. It is so difficult in our society to be healthy if you're coming from a state of poor health. Yeah. But once you, the thing is, well, for everybody too, once you are healthy, it's just like, it's hard to not be healthy. That's absolutely. the crazy thing too, absolutely. that people, the people would not understand until you experience it. You know, and every everybody I know can get there. I've seen it happen too many times. Yeah, I, I love that statement because what I find with most people is most people have no idea how shitty they actually feel until they start feeling better. And then they go back to trying to do what they once did. And they're like, whoa, I really feel like shit when I do that. I don't want to do that so much. So there's, you know, there's definitely uh, something really great about that. It's a, it's that moment of awareness where before they were so disconnected from these unhealthy habits and lifestyle factors until they start improving slightly upon them, getting the benefits from it. Then they have that awareness when they go back and go, oh, wait, I would have never correlated you know, low energy, brain fog, blah, 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 whatever it might be related to the foods that I had over the weekend compared yeah. to what I had previously right. been eating. Right. If, if we don't have the awareness that that could even be an association in the first place, mm -hmm. you know, like most people do not associate their diet with cancer, for example. 
and I was just with one of the foremost experts in cancer research. And you know, one of my um, my colleagues and friends, uh, Dr. Will William Lee out of Harvard. He's the founder of the Angiogenesis Society, and angiogenesis is the process of developing blood vessels for cells to grow and to, you know, to do all the cool things cells do, but also cancer cells do the same thing. They snatch up and get their own blood vessels to feed themselves, even though your body doesn't want them to necessarily. And that process is called angiogenesis. And so we know today that there are many different specific nutrients and foods that have very potent anti-angiogenesis properties that again, like some of the top researchers in the world, some of the most prestigious universities know this, but it's just getting out to the public. And so, but I, I wanted to say this was, what the, what the data is showing now, we oftentimes look at uh, genetics, as you mentioned this a little bit earlier, as being the underpinning thing. Mm -hmm. But we, the Human Genome Project was mapped out and we, keep we can find these associated genes for different disease states, but it's still not in the gene itself. That's the problem because collectively our genes can literally have, if we're talking about carcinogenic outcomes, millions, there are millions of different potential expressions for cancer to take place, right? There's so much that can take place from the uh, environmental influential, influential level. So we know that a big portion of that because our society has accepted this is smoking. We, most folks are aware of that. But literally just a few decades ago, smoking was promoted. It was literally promoted by doctors. It was getting a stamp of approval. It was promoted, you know, it's just like today, we see all these drug commercials. We don't think anything of it, but it is very abnormal. It's not right. You shouldn't go to your doctor, your dealer, they treating them like a dealer, like ask, ask your doctor for this drug. Yeah. This, that's not appropriate. Other countries don't allow that, you know, right. but here in the United States, again, we're the most drugged out culture. We see the one-to-one -one ratio here. You were getting, you know, advertised constantly and people are taking more, duh. Yeah. You know, but with smoking, it was, it, it, matter of fact, studies were done, funded by the tobacco industry, disproving any negative side effects. Again and again and again, there's very powerful multi-billion dollar entities behind these things, mm -hmm. right? So recent, now it's like, oh, of course smoking's bad. Literally during your grandparents' lifetime. Are you kidding me? It was literally, it was advocated. Smoking right. has nothing bad for, to do with your health. Now it's accepted. So my point is this, we've got, if we're looking at the pie of carcinogens, because smoking, this tobacco use is a carcinogen, all right? And not to, again, vilify anybody who's smoking, you know, everybody's at different spots here, but at this point, folks do realize that, yeah, this is a carcinogen. Right. We have entire lists of carcinogens. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things in the Journal of the American Medical Association affirmed this, contributing factors behind our chronic diseases like cancer is diet. Poor diet is the number one thing, depending on which body of science you're looking at. But so can, um, food plays about 30 to 35% of a role in the development of our most common cancers. Mm -hmm. All right. So, but people don't often have that association. As a matter of fact, when somebody receives a diagnosis of, of cancer, a lot of times I've worked with so many people going through chemotherapy, radiation, the, the list goes on and on. There's like, you just eat whatever. You just got to get as many calories in, try and keep the energy up. There's no talk of the carcinogens that possibly contributed to the issue in the first place, which is just science. That's all it is because that food, whatever is in the what is the most messed up thing that I, that I used to eat? Um, I just saw this the other day on a, on a show, this guy was eating a, a can of ravioli. That was my stuff. Like I really, I'm so from, St. from St. Louis. So Louis, we had yeah. toasted ravioli. Toasted ravioli. Yeah. So, you know, but nothing about that toasted ravioli has ever existed in human history. Like it's so, it's so abnormal to yeah. ourselves that there's this very turbulent interaction as your body's trying to sort out how to deal with it. The, the big thing that it, it has a lot to do with that is your microbes, first of all. Mm -hmm. Your microbes, because they have billions more time of evolution, that's why there's, there's so many more microbial genes, they figured out how to break things down in our environment 
that even if we're tinkering with stuff as humans, our microbes are finding a way to break stuff down, right? But the outcome, the offshoot of that, carcinogenic things, terrible metabolic waste products that the body might have a hard time detoxifying, the list goes on and on and on. So we're consuming these things that are literally causing, they're, they're called carcinogens, cancer causing agents. And yet folks are seeing their, their radiologist and they're not being educated on that. Like, hey, where did this cancer come from? At this point, it's so, the, the, for me, one of the most heartbreaking aspects of our current system of medicine is the lack of education. Absolutely. You know, like if, you're, if you get diagnosed with diabetes, explain what the hell it is. Talk about how the, the, the disease manifests. You know, this is what I would do in my practice. If people just literally come in, they're on metformin or they're on insulin, whatever the case is, yep. their eyes would be glowing, sparkling once they find out how their pancreas works, how blood sugars managed, stress hormones, all this stuff. I would just see their eyes light up. Like nobody did that for them. Just, and then they feel so empowered. Like, oh, this is, this is what's going on in my body. I get it now. I get it. Really? It doesn't just happen. If we say something just happens, which is what I was taught, you know, told coming in, you know, trying to do my own health issue, that is abandoning basic principles of physics. There's nothing that just happens. Right. There's all, you might not know, then tell the person you don't know. Don't tell them it's just something that just happens. But here at this point, what we know about cancer, we, we know exactly what cancer is. It isn't some mystery. We know how cancer works. We know about cell replication. We know about the Hayflick limit. We know about apoptosis and programmed cell death. We know cancer cells operate by different rules. We know the immune system interaction part and the macrophages and the natural killer cells and all these different things. We know how this stuff works. The question is what's causing it to happen so rapidly? Why is the immune system not on top of this particular abnormal cell replication? And I can keep going from there. Like there's so many aspects of this that we already know, but the reason that it's happening far more frequently, I'm talking like, we're talking thousand percent increases in certain cancers. It's insane, just within a decade. The thing that we're not addressing is how did the environment get so abnormal our environmental inputs from our food to our stress exposures, mm-hmm. creating a state in the body that makes cancer easy to develop. Absolutely. That's really what it is. Well, I mean, the reality is, is that most of uh, most Americans are literally just in a state of survival at all times due to all of the immense amount of stressors that the physical body and the mental and emotional bodies are under. And we don't stand a chance at being able to take these, you know, carcinogenic components that we're putting in the body and appropriately deal with them because our body is just trying to keep its pH in a neutral state from perceived stress response just to keep the heart, lungs, and brains functioning 99.9% of the day. You know, we are just overwhelmed with, with so many stressors. Um, I, so I have devoted a lot of my practice to uh, working with mental health and substance abuse. And what research shows us is that 90% of mental health disorders that are diagnosed as bipolar, schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, majority of these diagnoses are actually an underlying nutritional deficiency that has not been identified. And when we go to the doctor and we start saying, you know, oh, I've lost my motivation. I'm not really wanting to get out of my bed. Doctors say, well, here's a prescription that you can take. And you know, this, you should start feeling better within three to six months. And then three to six months, these people aren't feeling any better because they haven't got to the root of the problem, which is that nutritional deficiency. And I feel really blessed when I have an opportunity to educate And, you know, explain the correlation between diet and how we're feeling emotionally and mentally. And for those that choose to take action and start making some nutrition changes, they tend to have really amazing outcomes. So how do we combat this lack of education, especially with all of the uh, censorship we have nowadays around any, any kind of holistic practices? 
in my opinion, food is thy medicine. And now we've got the FDA trying to ban over 200 supplements from being available for use. So how do we get around this? <laughs> I know it's a this loaded question. A, that's a big question. That is a, a major, major question. Uh, I mean, first thing, just to reiterate what you just mentioned. Um, I mean, again, our mind is expansive and kind of bigger than just our brains which is largely, there's a, there's a big hardware aspect to it, but there are, our, our brains really work to automate things, you know? And of course we, we do have the production of neuropeptides and neurotransmitters and things of that nature. And, and the neurons themselves, the, the ability of the brain to grow and to develop and to create these new pathways. But, you know, when we're talking about mental health, right? It's so much bigger because it, we could just solely focus on the brain and your brain can definitely create outcomes like that. You know, another good friend, Dan, Daniel Amen, Dr. Daniel Amen, he's got the world's biggest database of SPECT imaging scans. And so a lot of times he's seen with patients over the years and he's done big programs with the NFL and things like that. He's, his database is really helpful in some of, the, some of the big changes that they've made, which by the way, he hates it. He hates football. If you tell him that your kid is playing football or even soccer, like hitting, like he just turns into a different person. He's like very, he's a very nice guy. But he's like, oh, Sean, duck, duck. You know, he, he makes you feel a little bit bad. But anyways, so we've got that. It, there might be an underlying damage to the brain in some form or fashion. And it doesn't just come from trauma. This can, be, this can come from environmental chemicals, for example. Mm -hmm. All right, the list goes on and on. So, but what can we do to help to affirm that hardware and make sure that the brain is at its at its best because it is a big player in this mental health paradigm is the health of the brain itself and it's just first of all it always starts with the basics what is the brain made of it's made of water 80 mm percent -hmm. water and it's the most water dominant organ in the body next to the lungs right so this is a big big thing because everything in the brain is happening in a water medium so when I'm talking about neurons and, and neurotransmitters and neuropeptides and the axons and the dendrites and all these things and making the magic happen in the brain, it's all happening in a water medium. And it's very easy to have a dehydrated brain. It's very easy for that to happen. We've got multiple studies now, I've shared some of them in Eat Smarter, looking at how just a 1% drop, a 2% drop in the body's normal hydration level can lead to cognitive impairment. All right. Your brain takes it seriously first, but it's not just that. And I'll share this one nutrient with you guys because it's, it's and also a lot of stuff. It's so controversial because they come without education, but sodium, your, it's not just your water, mm -hmm. their water H2O, what we were taught in school that doesn't exist anywhere in nature. It's always water is known as a universal solvent. It's always water with other minerals integrated into it. And the same thing in your body, electro, electric, electrolytes, allow for signal transduction to take place in the brain. So the brain cells can talk to each other. Mm -hmm. It's kind of important. And yeah. when it's not happening, we're going to have what we term mental health challenges mm -hmm. when your brain cells can even talk to each other. And right. we're not talking about these basic things. So um, researchers at McGill University, and I broke this down. I shared many of these different studies in Eat Smarter, uh, but researchers at McGill University uncovered that sodium functions as a quote on off switch for specific neurotransmitters in the brain that number one, support optimal function, but number two, protects the brain against neurological diseases. What if, again, if you're deficient in simple things like sodium and you might think, hey, well, I'm sure people are getting a buttload of sodium with our diet today and sodium and salt are used interchangeably in our, in our kind of common knowledge, but they're not the same thing. There are many different types of salt. You can have a potassium salt, mm -hmm. but we've got sodium and chloride, right? These are two different things. We've got 60% chloride, 40% uh, sodium. That's our table salt. But you know, the funny thing right now, and I was just um, sharing this the other day. I haven't talked about this publicly, publicly yet. Actually, it might, it might actually came out today, but here, listen to the, listen to the title of the study. It's a peer-reviewed study. Electrolyte imbalances in patients with severe coronavirus disease, 2019, all right? Folks in this study, here's what the results found. This was a, a meta-analysis. This was five 
um, controlled trials. So they're actually looking at patients with severe outcomes from COVID. And they found that versus folks who had optimal levels of electrolytes having far less severe symptoms and even being more often asymptomatic and seeing this consistency of having severe outcomes from coronavirus. And so here, here's what they said. Sodium was significantly lower in patients with severe COVID-19. Similarly, potassium was also significantly lower in, in patients with COVID-19. Listen, with severe, I'm sorry, severe disease, potassium, again, it's an electrolyte. It's an electrolyte enabling signal transduction. Um, another one, calcium, significantly lower concentration was noted in patients with severe COVID-19. I can go on and on, yeah. but this doesn't say causation because, okay, are we coming in and we, 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 we contract an infection of whatever the case might be, and my electrolytes were already low. Did it make me more susceptible? We don't know if that's the case. What or contracting an infection, just draining the body of these electrolytes as your body is trying to defend itself using all of these metabolic pathways. And that's what I believe is probably the more likely answer. Mm -hmm. And also they noted in the in the study that getting people their their electrolytes more imbalanced really did help to reduce severe symptoms. But some of these, some in some instances, their they had their electrolyte numbers did not rebound even after quote clearing the virus. So here's the bottom line: electrolytes are needed to to make your immune system function, to enable your brain cells to talk to each other. But also, when I'm talking about enabling your cells to talk and the experience even of energy, having the metabolic energy to defend itself from anything that you're exposed to, which you are going to be exposed to stuff. This one that's on everybody's mind is just the first of many to come. You know, this is just, let me, okay. Maybe we'll come back and talk about that, but here's the bottom line. We have to be more resilient and it requires a lot of metabolic energy for mm -hmm. your body to do those jobs. And when, when I'm talking about energy, what we know to in science today, and it's bigger than this, but I'm just gonna share what a lot of folks know is the mitochondria. Right. So these are these like that we often refer to them as these energy power plants within our cells that are generating energy, generating ATP, this currency used for metabolic processes. Right. So we consider our mitochondria to be a big player in us having energy. OK, now here's the thing. Magnesium, which is another electrolyte, is required to make new mitochondria. It can't make copies of itself. It has to have mag you have to have magnesium present. Sodium and potassium, the sodium potassium pump in our bodies. If this isn't available, if you don't have those two electrolytes available, your mitochondria can't even operate. They can't do anything. All of your cells require the sodium potassium pump to be, to be present doing its job. It's basically, it's required for life to take place in the human body, all right? But we tend to like, oh, sodium's bad. Sodium's bad. We don't even know what we're talking about. Right. You know, because sodium was a long time ago associated with high blood pressure, which has been disproven, by the way. And a matter of fact, low sodium, if your sodium's too low, that can cause high blood pressure Absolutely. because of the rebound effect of elevated stress hormones, elevated triglycerides, the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. But not to say there are genetic predispositions that make it harder to handle sodium. And I'm not saying to just go and start guzzling, you know, the Morton's table salt. You know, you'll probably have a really bad day if you do that. But our belief about sodium has been so skewed mm -hmm. because of some bad science from decades ago. And also people believing that sodium and salt are interchangeable. When yeah. here's the last part, and this is the big truth. Over 70% of the salt, of the sodium intake that people get on the standard American diet is from processed foods. Mm -hmm. Over 70% of the sodium intake is from processed foods. Low quality sodium in addition to the, the plethora of sugar and chemicals and all this other stuff, that's where it's happening, factually. So once we just start to move away, just pull out some of the processed foods, we don't have to go 100%, just pull some out. Now there's a, suddenly a big nutritional gap for our sodium. Mm -hmm. And I've already highlighted just a few things on how important this stuff is. So 
Yeah. You know, and this, I totally ignored your original question. No, it's not good. By yeah, the way. I mean, so you just, you know, made me think, because I was just reading a study about how in iodized salt, there's a chemical called potassium ferrocyanide that is actually approved to be um, allowed in, in our table salt that is used in most of our refined processed foods that are manufactured. And I don't know if cyanide raises any concern for you, but I know it does me, especially with someone who, you know, is predisposed to having kidney dysfunction. And we see DeVita's literally on the corner of every single um, corner, literally of every street. It's like in the last 10 years, what I've seen happen in the dialysis world is just absolutely uh, frightening. So um, yeah, there's so much truth. And then another thing is most people, I mean, the reality is most of the population is dehydrated to begin with. And then if they are appropriately hydrated, they're typically drinking filtered water, which is devoided of all of those minerals that our bodies need. So. Yeah. So when, even when I talk about this stuff, I think back to when I was dealing with my own health issues. I mean, I'm, I maybe would drink a glass of water a day, mm -hmm. maybe. I mean, but the human body is so resilient. We've got some very hardcore beliefs about water and hydration mm -hmm. that don't always hold up. For example, like how long you can go without it. That's because the body, like you could even pull, you can, water is always moving from a place of greater concentration to a place of lesser concentration. You can pull in moisture from the environment right. and your, the environment can pull moisture from you mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely. So this is really powerful stuff. This is why you have got to, overhydrate when you fly for example i was just gonna go there water out of you yeah, yeah so it's literally the environment yeah absolutely that's uh something i bring to people's attention all the time you know we're having insidious losses just going up in the airplane traveling changing changing uh temperatures going to different altitudes all of it plays a role and most people they just they're not even aware of the impact and my body, even at that time, and for so many people, will pull every little bit of water it can from the sunny delight they're drinking or from whatever it is. I was barely drinking water and I still surviving, you yeah. know. Um, but also, and you mentioned something really important too, because this is in the context of blood pressure, for example, you know, which this is associated with um, heart disease is a big, but the thing is, again, like, this gets into a sketchy situation, like one causing the other, you know, which is like, there's so much debate within that. But I think the most important thing for us to understand in the context of hypertension and, and high blood pressure is that it's largely controlled by your kidney function. Mm -hmm. It's largely controlled by your brain. We think that it all has to do with the heart, mm -hmm. you know, like that's more of a downstream impact. You know, if we're talking about blood pressure, that's like the force of the the, 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 that's being placed upon the blood vessels. Right. So it can definitely be problematic for sure. But what's regulating that force is your kidneys um, group texting or, or group chat with the brain and the cardiovascular system. But for example, you know, antidiuretic hormone, you know, this, this uh, uh, hormone being released in this interaction with the brain and the kidneys and the kidneys can shout back and say, hey, like I need to change the, the, con the concentration of the blood, for example, because your kidneys are trying to filter all of this blood, like 200 quarts a day. It's crazy what the kidneys are doing, but they're so ignored, you know, yeah. like, and so with that said, we really need to focus on taking care of our kidneys, which again, if we're talking about it being a filter, we want to make sure that there's good stuff going through there. So they're not getting jammed up and beat up, right. you know, whether it's through our, our, our nutrition. And also, of course, water is a, a major, major role player and electrolytes mm -hmm. and keeping those kidneys healthy. So your kidneys are producing, as a matter of fact, listen to this, your kidneys are the truly almost a sole, sole proprietor here, but your liver does a little bit of this, but your kidneys literally produce the compound that tells your stem cells to make more red blood cells. Your kidneys themselves are commanding, creating the, the building block for your blood. It's your kidneys doing that. And That's how powerful it is. It also so, contributes yeah. to the thyroid hormone, Produ yep. you know, producing ferritin, 
it all happens in the marrow of the bone. And if the kidneys aren't functioning appropriately, none of that is going to be able to be optimal. Yeah, it's, it's so amazing. But unfortunately, again, I love to talk about this stuff in these different, you know, kind of um, different parts of our body, but it's really one. Yeah. It's all one whole organism because yeah. anything that we do for our kidneys is going to impact our brain. It's going to impact our sinuses. It's going to impact our teeth. It's going to impact our bones because we are all one powerfully complex and interconnected entity, you know, but our system of medicine, again, it's, be, it's more and more isolated us into parts. Yeah. And that's another big problem. Like machine. And not only are we symbiotic in terms of all of the organs, but we're also symbiotic with those 50 trillion cells that are communicating our 50 trillion microbiota that are communicating also to the 50 trillion cells we have. So it's a, we are literally just a walking community, my friend. That's a fact. That's an absolute <laughs> fact. So we, we definitely need to uh, treat these vessels with a lot more respect and, and diversity. Well, Sean, absolutely. I truly, truly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be here today with us and share all of your knowledge and expertise. So where can the audience find you? Sure. Well, where they're listening to this show, they could find my show as well. It's called The Model Health Show. Um, very grateful to say many, many times over um, and coming from St. Louis, uh, building this to be the number one health podcast in the country many times over. It's kind of like billboard charts, though. You know, it changes from time right. to time. But um, right. we just really focus on, uh, you know, creating master classes and, you know, whatever uh, area it is. So if it's gastroenterology and gut health, for example, like we'll bring on the, the foremost expert in the world in the subject matter for everybody. And uh, also, so people can find me there and also they can find Eat Smarter, which is my latest book and Sleep Smarter as well. Shout yes, out to Sleep Smarter. All of them are fabulous. <laughs> they're also so, both available on Audible too. Yes, yes. They're also on Audible. And man, like it's so crazy. Sleep Smarter came out, uh, I think 2015 maybe or 2016, but it's also, it's, it's still like in the top 20 on audible it's amazing like it just it blows my mind when i when i pop in there and check it out and um but you know here's the thing all of these and for everybody listening same thing this is the power of an idea mm. you know because prior to sleep smarter coming out i i've got colleagues who are very esteemed like you know sleep medicine docs they've published books but no book has ever become an international bestseller around sleep before and so now it's like translated i think in maybe 20 21 different countries different languages it created a new market for health and wellness now we have you know folks who focus on sleep wellness as as they're coaching you know sleep wellness coaches i just did um um a little course or a little program for tom brady's company the tb12 folks and they've got sleep wellness as a part of their brand but a lot of these people they don't know that it was me that kind of like ushered some of these ideas into the culture but that's the power of an idea. And these ideas are not, they're not just your own. These are for everyone. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I just want to encourage everybody to share, share your voice, you know, share your ideas, speak up, share your heart. We need it more than ever. And you never know just how much you can change the entire world or change the world for someone. So, yeah. Oh, my friend, thank you so much for your dedication to the work and, you know, sharing the knowledge so that individuals can be educated and empowered to start living their best quality of lives, going from that state of surviving to thriving. My hope for all humanity is that we will, we will get out of this um, unfortunate, pre, you know, very scary place that we're heading into over the next 10 years with, I think, immune system function and uh, human humanity and survival rate. So I think is, now is the time to start considering making some small changes when it comes to the environmental practices around our health and wellness. So thank you again. It's my pleasure. We can do this. We can change it. Yes, we can. And we are, we are. So thank you. 
All right, guys, well, make sure you go pick up his book, Eat Smarter, and uh, definitely check out his podcast, The Model Health Show. It's absolutely phenomenal, and you will not regret it. Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.